All right. Well, I think this has been uh, an interesting talk about the crisis in Venezuela. Yeah, and I come think, to the crisis at home now. And uh, yeah, no, I think, and I think for a while now we've been meaning to discuss not only uh, the 2020 uh, election in the United States. You know, who will be the Democratic nominee, uh, but also uh, just a general discussion on uh, what it means to be a moderate. What is the uh, outlook, prospects, and future of uh, the so-called center in the United States as opposed to uh, you know, this growing trend of political polarization. Uh, and I know, Nick, you have a lot of thoughts on this. So why don't you why don't you kick us off? I was uh, I I wrote I typed down on my notes some thoughts before going into this because I want to have them all in orderly structure. But um, so there are how many candidates? How many Democratic candidates running now? Like twenty, I think. Yes, there is like, about twenty. I think it's twenty-four now. It's gonna be the official yeah. total. But yeah. uh, Michael Bennett just announced yesterday. Um, yet when I was going to search Michael Bennett online, uh, the football player came up, which shows you how strong the Colorado senator is doing in this election. Um, so, I, you know, I think just some initial thoughts. I was originally a big Biden uh, fan. I thought Biden was going to clear house. And I, and I think, you know, a year before really the nomination gets started, uh, the convention even happens, it's important to know that the two people with the biggest name recognition in this country right now in the Democratic primary are Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. And the fact that Bernie Sanders in the recent poll was polling, I think, third now to Elizabeth Warren or around 10 percent says a lot about where he stands in this election, which is I don't think is very, very much. I think he moved the party to the left. I think he offered a whole new um, revolution, whatever you want to call it, idea set and allowed AOC to get into the House and a host of other congressmen and women. But um, the fact of the matter is this man is not polling high enough or strong enough and that if his people aren't with him now and only 10% are with him then, uh, then I can, I, I think we're going to have a, you know, a, probably a, he's not going to do too poorly. And I think also last year he did so well because Hillary was not the best nominee. I have a confession to make. During the main caucus, I voted for Bernie Sanders because I was not happy with Hillary Clinton. I would never vote for Bernie Sanders in any other election. Uh, so I don't think he stands any chance of, of any uh, serious issue. Uh, my, my thing with Biden right now is, is um, I, I think Biden represents, obviously, he's the middle ground. 30% of this party is automatically going for him. They like experience, they like foreign policy, and they like moderation. He's sucking the air out of every other moderate candidate there is, whether it be Hickenlooper, Moulton, or basically any other white guy that's running for the office. I think that's something we should consider. Um, I do not think Biden wins the nomination, actually. I, I thought that a few weeks ago. But after just recently, some of the gaffes he's been making, and it's typical Joe, and I get that, but it was fine as vice president. It's not okay now. And there's a reason why in 2008, Joe Biden, after nearly 30 years in the Senate, still only polled around one or less than 1% in the Iowa caucus. He's, he's a good guy. He's a, he's a smart guy. Um, but we don't usually, as evidenced by the past election, elect good or smart people. And I don't think as a 78-year-old or year old in 2020, Joe Biden is going to be a major factor. When McCain ran in 08, when Reagan ran in 80 and 84, age has always been an issue. I know it's not been for Trump, but Trump also acts much younger, for better or for worse, than, than uh, he is. And so I think Joe Biden is, will catch up with him, and, and he will not uh, win. I think he's the standard bearer of the party. I don't think he poses a serious shot. Then before, again, yeah. 
before we move on, do we think uh, age will play a, a factor for Bernie Sanders at all? No, uh, because I don't think Bernie's age shows. I think Joe's age really does show. I mean, already we were talking about this earlier, but he, there was a few times, I think yesterday or two days before, he was just slurring his words badly. And, and I think, it, and, and it's a small thing, but I think it goes to show that, that the man is, is he's already prone to gaffes, and everything he does that's now quirky or out of character 10 years ago when he was 68 is now a tribute to his old age at 78. Do you think uh, p- perception of age aside in uh, running for office, do you think that uh, we're getting to a point where that that magnitude of old age makes you unfit to be president? Yeah, I do. I, I think at, by the time you're 80, I mean, my dad's already 62 and he's starting to slow down. And he's like, I, I couldn't imagine people being president, let alone just you know being alive at 62. So, I, you know, and I think uh, I think it should be a, a stop. My, my biggest issue also just for this country, the last thing we need is an 80 year old running a president of a very young or at least we want to be young and vibrant country. I think we do need new leadership. I think it is time for that. Um, But additionally, I would just add uh, a few things. I think in terms of the Democratic Party, especially on this campus, there's been a strong push to have women and, and to really not pick any white heterosexual male. And I think that's going to play a huge role in the Democratic primary. Um, and recently, I've been dissing on Elizabeth Warren, but I think she actually holds a lot of probably potential. Um, she's the one coming up with the best policy solutions. She's, she's been uh, increasing in the polls. Her biggest problem, as Jason and I have talked about, is her electability. I just don't think she's going to handle a debate stage well. And the fact that she had to you know, demonstrate her electability by opening up a beer and then thanking her husband for being in her house bodes poorly for anything in the election. But I do think the Democrats don't really care about electability. If they did, they wouldn't have elected Hillary Clinton in 2016. And they care about policies and, and, and a lot of these identity issues and what she represents. So I think she becomes a very potent force as we realize that Bernie is just not carrying clout and that the other candidates, Kamala, Kristen Gillibrand, are just not up to stuff in terms of policy positions. I also think Beto comes back as well. Um, Beto's done. I, I think he comes back because we're look, everyone's looking for an answer. There needs to be an alternative to Joe Biden. I don't know who that alternative is. Pete. It could be Pete. Pete. It could be Pete. Uh, it could be Seth Moulton. Uh, it, be. it could be John Hickenlooper. Probably Mayor Pito, but why? Because he does have uh, a card working for him. Then again, there's also a huge section of the Democratic Party, which I do believe in, a party that I held from back in Maine, which is uh, still like a very normal, milk-toast white guy as president. Um, Don't underestimate that, and I think Pete is pretty close to that, but but the gay card does play a factor here. So, um, Do you think, I think think a lot of us might agree Mm. that Elizabeth Warren has the most well-developed policies, Um, probably, I mean, certainly the most educated, uh, in terms of, uh, her prior experience, uh, prior to government. Um, do you think that that, that, I mean, I think in, in, do you think that plays a factor at all in terms of, and if it does, uh, might it almost be a negative factor? Yeah, it would be if she was running as a Republican, she wouldn't get out of the doorway. I mean, she wouldn't even make it to the first debate. As a Democrat, though, Democratic voters prioritize. I think in the last congressional election, things like being a veteran, um, things like being a moderate, did not play well in, in terms of Democratic nominees in the primary process. What did play well was smart policies, progressivism, being a woman. Those three things played very heavily, and those are three things Elizabeth Warren has going for. And she's experienced, and she's smart. The Democratic Party doesn't have an intellectual problem. I but think do you Republican think she's unrelatable? Oh, absolutely. She's. A, I mean, you one could point. Yeah, point, that's why uh, she will lose the general frame election. Frame her to be elitist, yeah, to be is. representative of Harvard, the Northeast. But the, the Democratic the Party group. is pretty elitist compared to the Republican Party. I don't think she. But here's my question: I don't think she polls well in Iowa. I think she tanks in Iowa. Then again, the winner of the Iowa caucus has. N- with the exception of Barack Obama in 2008, never gone on to win the Democrat, Democratic or Republican primary. But I think she polls very well in New Hampshire. 
and I think the New Hampshire primary, which is a, a big indicator state, um, will be a battleground for her, Bernie, and Biden. I think that's where this election's decided, is in that state. I just don't know how well she'll poll. I actually don't think she's that elitist. Uh, Compared to the rest of them, I do Hillary, think she, yeah. Hillary Clinton was elitist. Elizabeth yeah. Warren is elitist. Once, once, once he's, because it's, it's not the elitism that people have a problem with. Like, it's, yeah. it's fine to be educated, it's fine to do all these things. What they can't stand, not just Trump voters, but like a lot of Americans like, who feel at least sympathy with those types of people, is the contempt and the arrogance. Okay. I've seen it here. I've seen, I, I, I understand, yes, the Northeast and like the coasts of America, they're doing very well economically. They have the best educational institutions, the best yeah. companies. But I'd add though, the Democratic senators are, are in exactly those areas, which is why I think she's well posed to win as well. They're not in Iowa. In, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, exactly. And that's like where the Democratic voters are. So like, I feel like Elizabeth, I feel like Elizabeth Warren could do, I think she could do very well in the primaries. But actually, because I have given her a lot of flack yeah, um, in the past, or not even really flack. I, I didn't dislike her policies necessarily. I just didn't think she would win because I didn't think she had this type of charisma that mm. people who become president in this modern age. I still age, don't think she does. Yeah, of reality television yeah. politics. I just I just can't imagine her on a, on a debate, debate stage with Donald Trump yeah. and like she's going to be the one carrying that performance. And like this age where it's all performative, it's all ratings based. We care more about entertainment than the actual substance about it. I just feel like Donald Trump knew, he sensed that this is the political environment now that he could win in and it wasn't about experience. It wasn't about um, knowledge. If you want to talk about where this whole thing began, I mean, I, I, I really like trying to place it with the whole, you know, Clinton-Bush, mm. um, Clinton-Bush election, where it's like, yes, Bush was very much the elder statesman, the more responsible the one, smarter the smarter one, one yeah. the more competent one, and he lost. You can make the same state, you can make the same sort of comparison with Al Gore and Bush, Bush and John Kerry, and John McCain. Who's relatable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. John McCain and Obama. If you just looked at their resumes without their names, John McCain was clearly the more qualified yeah. person to be president. Navy but, star, hero, But he didn't center, have, the, yeah. Obama had star power. He yeah. was a celebrity. He was way more than a political candidate Which is why at the time I think he was you running. shouldn't count Beto out. Beto but, and Pete. But do you or, think, or, or, do you and, think and, and from, the, from that perspective, do you think there's anyone that can challenge Donald Trump? No, which is why I, I think Trump's going to win in 2020. And I've Biden. said this. I've, I've I've said this over and over again. Uh, I've said this over and over again. Nobody has the sort of charisma that Donald Trump has right now. Um, why? Why Biden? Because I think I think Biden, yeah. Pete. I think Biden is the only one who can handle him on the debate stage by just rolling in the mud with him, literally, and then coming out victorious. I mean, Biden's an effective debater. He saw in two thousand eight. Saw in two thousand twelve. I think uh, Pete is would be effective because he would separate himself so much from Trump that it would be like you're just watching two speeches, not a debate. I think the other people, potentially after Kamala Harris's interactions with Barr in the Senate testimony, would get too mean, too vicious, and either be called, you know, by most men, oh, they're being bitchy, or just they're just being mean. And, and I think most the guys were trying to dismiss Donald Trump. Oh, he's an idiot. He's stupid. We've seen that dismissing your opponent does not work. Hillary Clinton did it to Donald Trump. Al Gore did it to George Bush, and 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 even Bush did it slightly to Clinton. They don't. Voters don't care about how stupid their their other candidate is. They care about what that candidate is going to do for them. And so the candidate needs to embrace Donald Trump as a legitimate party leader of the Republican Party that many Americans still support, 42%. And by delegitimizing and calling him stupid, they're calling them stupid. So you have to engage them in a substantive policy debate. Um, you can roll around in Donald's insults a little bit, but you actually have to show why your policies are better for them. And I think the rest of the candidates will just you know, make crude and snide comments, a little snitty comments in the words of, of Barr to Donald Trump. But Biden and, and Pete would actually stick to the issues or, or at least counter them when needed and necessary. You say they have to show why their policies are better. 
uh, or actually engage in, mm. in a substantive discussion to a certain extent. Do you actually think that that, that, that matters uh, very much at all at this point? I can't tell you the last American election that's been won on substance. No, right. I'm saying I'm so, I, the bar for substance is a very low bar. Here's I'm what say, substance I'm saying is. That they, they, by substance, I mean there's not attacking Donald Trump. Obama, put, Obama put substance perfectly yeah, where it's like right. I'm not going to reveal the details yeah, yeah. of my plan. I'm gonna but I have an ju- idea. I'm going to give you a vision. Yeah. I'm not selling you on a policy yeah. agenda. I'm going to sell you on a vision. Yeah, believe me. Sub- substance here is a very low bar. Exactly. Right? Yeah. It's like I have to inspire like you. A full all, I, all I want <laughs> ideally from the Democrats is somebody with the policy ideas of Warren with the charisma of Pete. That would be a winning that would be a winning Democratic candidate. They just don't have Which the is why right a Buttigieg now. Warren ticket or vice versa is actually an appealing ticket. But so, yeah. I haven't been following the polls as closely as you guys have. But do you think Americans are fed up with the way that the country is being led right now? Or do they feel like they aren't Democrats. seeing any change Abs- economically? Absolutely. You think Abs- Democrats are? And, and this, and this, and, no. Democrats are. The whole country, I don't know. This, and, the, and this is sort of the point, to go back to the whole point of uh, moderation. Like, you know, is moderation dead? If not dead, I just feel like it's not really the moment um, for that at this point. Yeah. And this is, why, this is my biggest thing with Joe Biden. I said, if 2016 proved anything, was that the age of establishment politics right now is over. Nobody wants people from previous Democratic administrations. They don't want the old neoliberal order. The entire problem with the Democratic Party is that it forgot what, they forgot really what their mission was. You know, they really had a motivating philosophy FDR redefines the party, New Deal, we're the party of the working class, we fight for the labor against capital. Then what you get with the Clinton administration, they completely sell out to Wall Street. They think that the only way to be relatable and hip is basically just continuing Reagan's policies and the policies of the conservatives in a, and throw the donkey um, logo on it, and somehow that makes it you know more liberal. I mean... People pointed this out, where Clinton did things that Republicans could have only dreamed of doing in their wet dreams, or welfare reform, the crime bill, NAFTA. Uh, don't ask, um, don't oh, tell. Fi- fi- Doma. He was, he, Doma. He was the king of financial deregulation. Mm. Uh, he was the one who repealed Glass-Steagall. Yeah. He was the one that made national banking yeah. a thing. I mean— N- Name me one Democratic Bill Clinton policy. <laughs> I mean, exactly. He's the, one, he's the one who brought mm-hmm. Goldman Sachs into, like, the fed- into the Federal Reserve, yeah. into the Treasury Department. So it's the, the reason why we got something like Donald Trump, and this goes back to the whole part about like the cycles of like between facts fascism and populism and all those stuff. You get populist and fascist uprisings when you lose the liberals in your country because those are the people that are supposed to be the safety valve on the popular pressures in a democracy. How do we make sure we don't get the fascist coup or the, you know, socialist revolution? You need a liberal party that recognizes back to your point of Venezuela says, "Okay, we like to, we want to keep the economy that we have, but we have to give have ordinary people forms. a stake yeah. in yep. the country. We can't just be like let Goldman Sachs, Google and McKinsey take over everything and then we really have nothing for, for for everyone else for we have nothing to go around for everyone else because like they always make this point about oh and you know every time technology comes around we destabilize we displace people but there are, there are always new jobs for people it's like yes it's true and we've had a ton of new jobs come out of like globalization and what they call the fourth industrial revolution but the problem is those jobs as Andrew Yang another person running for mm-hmm. president has pointed out is that they're all in different places for different people with different skill sets yeah. now where it's like okay you you lose a bunch of manufacturing jobs in Idaho and Kentucky and um, South Dakota, and you gain a bunch of jobs for programmers, consultants, and investment bankers in New York and San Francisco, that's not going to ease the social pressures that you're developing as a, as a society. And the problem is, is that we've had no large-scale or programmatic agenda to deal with these problems. These are going to be problems that destabilize the American economy and our political system for at least the next 50 years. And we have come up so far with no ideas to implement, essentially. The financial crisis was the warning of like what really happens when the bottom falls out, but it's not going to be necessarily a, an, an immediate, um, imminent crisis that's going to cause everything to spiral out of control. 
as more and more people are displaced by technology and capital moving around the world, you really do have to figure out what you're going to do with everybody else who doesn't really have a role to play in this new economy, at least with the ways that the rules are written right now. And at least people, the best thing that's happened to the Democratic Party is that they're at least considering more progressive ideas. Like maybe we do have to start having the conversation about a universal basic income. Maybe we do have to start talking about are there changes that need to be made to the healthcare system. You do need to actually start having a new New Deal, essentially. You have to say, we have to redefine the economic and political social contract in America. So ordinary people don't feel like they're getting left behind um, in this push towards like global capitalism and the larger like these gigantic corporations seem to have ever more control over our lives. So that's the conversation we need to be having as a country. And if we're not, we're just going to get more Donald Trumps. We're just going to get more populisms. And yes, moderation will stay dead because as long as people keep facing extreme conditions, their communities are breaking down, um, loved ones and friends and family are dying from drug overdoses and despair. The thing that used to be the major killer in white America, number one used to be car accidents. Car accidents are number three right now. Number one is drug overdoses. Number two is suicides. You see communities literally coming apart at the seams. All the social pathologies that manifested in the black communities in the 70s and 80s that everyone talked about, the collapse of the black family, the rise of the welfare state, the crack at, at crack epidemic, that's now literally all happening in the white communities. And what's worse is that those communities are obviously six times larger than the black communities. So the so the effects are going to ripple across society in ways that we haven't seen. So you're going to really have nothing short of catastrophic social change, which will be translated to because of catastrophic economic change, which will result in catastrophic political changes. The thing that scares me most is that somebody like Donald Trump has gotten elected in 2016. This is not supposed to happen for like at least <laughs> another decade where we start fundamentally challenging the basic norms that our democracy is built on. If this is what we're doing now, what are we going to do once we lose those 4 million trucking jobs to, like, um, to automated driving or to self-driving cars. That's the largest industry in 30 of the 50 states that we have right now. And you're not just talking about those 4 million people. You're talking about their families. You're talking about their communities. You're talking about all the social networks that they occupy across society that keep this whole thing running. And those are all in the sorts of states that Donald Trump won. So you're just going to have this deepening of resentment and grievances caused by real economic pressures that aren't being dealt with by any party. The Republican Party is dealing with it in a trivial sense. They're just stoking prejudices and anger without offering long-term solutions, but it's the Democratic Party, the party of the working class, the party of the ordinary person, that's supposed to be offering the long-term ameliorative um, social remedies to these problems. And that's not what we're getting. So until we can find a president or a presidential candidate on the Democratic side that has the charisma to inspire people with a vision of the way things could be and also has the right policy solutions, you're not going to get an end to this protracted political struggle that we've seen explode in 2016, but will continue to deepen and intensify over time. So I think there's two points that I want to address here. I think one, I think the your your uh, analysis that there's a difference between the actual policy to address these issues and the perception of addressing these issues is a critical one. And I think we've seen Donald Trump have uh, really accomplished the perception that these are the issues he will address without really having the policy. Uh, and I and I and I'm curious to see uh, your thoughts on if any of the Democratic nominees or potential uh, Democratic nominees uh, have. Uh, have any sort of either uh, policies to address these issues or perception of wanting to address these issues, uh, and especially related to Trump. And I think the second uh, thing that I think is interesting that will, I think, certainly play a big role in uh, in the election that I haven't seen got, get much attention uh, as of yet uh, is voter turnout. Yeah, I was going to talk about that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think, and I think that's going to be absolutely critical. And I'm, and I'm wondering to what your 
uh, what your all thoughts are on, you know, is it going to be markedly different than any previous election? Uh, and if so, what, what do you think the consequences of that will I'll, be? I'll just answer the first part of your question because it relates to, to what I was saying perfectly. Yes, there are some Democrats that like, are offering proposals, I think, you know, we'll actually tackle this issue. Whom? I will, I will go through them. Um, <laughs> Glad obviously, obviously, the most famous one um, is Bernie Sanders. I think his policies are a little bit too extreme. Talking about some things like universal health care, I don't think that's, for a variety of reasons that I want to go into right now, I don't think that's really feasible Next at podcast. all. I, I don't think that's feasible at all in the current moment. Regardless of even cost, just talking about political capital. Tune in um, next week for healthcare. Yeah, <laughs> just, just the political capital you need to push something like that through. I mean, we saw what it cost Obama, his entire legislative agenda after the first two years of his presidency. The issue is far too big, and anyone who anyone who's arrogant enough to think that they're going to be the ones to solve it after it, near, it nearly brought down two Democratic administrations oh. is an idiot. Frankly, um, frankly speaking, or I shouldn't say an idiot, but they're in over. It's too close to home, and it's too big. Exactly, it's, too mad. it's in over your head. Just, and, yeah. and, and at this point, I think we've done enough. We've at least tried to. Patch up healthcare. Let's leave healthcare alone. Let's leave healthcare alone for right now. We have to think about how to stabilize communities, stabilize families, make sure, and most importantly, jobs. You have to think about jobs not just now, but 30 years from now. What are people going to? What are not? What are people necessarily going to be doing 30 years from now? But how are we going to make sure people who don't necessarily have, you know, the high value add labor skills? How are they really going to compete in this economy? And I feel like um, between um, Andrew Yang is, I think, the best candidate who's laid out. Um, proposals that deal very effectively with these things. When he talks about his freedom dividend, about like giving Americans, it's basically universal basic income, but he just calls it a freedom dividend because you know that's how branding works in American politics. They say UBI, people say socialism, and they get afraid and so on. It's and so a forth. patriotism tax. But yeah, he's 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 <laughs> talked about that. Um, Bernie Sanders, his economic advisor, actually Stephanie Kelton, um, who's uh, an economist, I think, like at Stony Brook you know, University. She has some great ideas. Um, she's become famous for like, the whole like she's a major proponent of modern monetary theory, which is another thing I don't want to get into right now. Second but basically point, yeah. one of her ideas, she just came out with a policy paper with um, one of the think tanks that she works with about, um, uh, what do you call it? a federal jobs guarantee, essentially, which is which will act like as a not just as um, a guarantee for high quality jobs, which will basically take the role of UBI and the minimum wage at the same time by offering people with a generally an average skill set access to high to high enough quality jobs will give them a reasonable standard of living. Um, and the jobs that are available will fluctuate depending on like how well the economy is performing. So it has this counter-cyclical effect where like in recessions there'll be more job postings and, a, and more job availability to sort of absorb the um, effects yeah. of the economic downturn. So that's an, another person that's looking at it well. And just Elizabeth Warren has been very plugged into like these same discussions. I'm not as familiar with a lot of the details of her policy. But again, I think she's getting the part right of it's more right now about the vision rather than like the actual policy. She's like essentially what my camp what my entire like, campaign mission is, is how do I create the type of America that I grew up in where, you know, on a single income from one parent, my father was able to send me and my siblings to very good um, public schools. We could all get an education at great colleges. I could go on to become a Harvard-educated lawyer, become a senator, become a Harvard law professor. The American dream was very alive and well, not to say that everyone was obviously going to become a senator or a Harvard law professor, but that you can basically ensure a very a decent, a decently high standard of living, just being a normal person, not having to go to the best schools, not having to get the best corporate jobs, you know. Um, it, you can at least be a congressman and a Stanford law professor. Uh, essentially, essentially where, the, where the dream was more accessible. So I think she's gotten the vision part right, and I'll be happy to see 
her talk about more for policies. But yes, to answer your question, there are some Democrats getting it right. I, I just don't know if those are going to be the ones who Pick rise to the top in the end, if their narrative is going to win out. Even if they don't win, the people that the person that does beat them hopefully will incorporate a lot of the things that they are saying. So I don't know where that goes. But I think, yes, there are definitely people on the Democratic side who are trying to um, bring this message home. And that's why I think that's the best thing Bernie Sanders actually did for the Democrats, pulling it away from the Clinton neoliberal conservatism and towards the future. To go back to even the point about age, age isn't really the problem. It's when you're old and you have nothing and your new to say. Old, yeah. Exactly. When you're old and you have nothing new to say, then your age really shows. It's like, Hillary, don't give me your husband's policies from the 90s as like, that's your economic policy. It's like, we are way past those days. We need new ideas to tackle the new challenges that are uniquely our own. So we can't just keep recycling these ideas where it's like, we don't need a rec- recapitulation of the Obama presidency. I feel people basically demonstrated in 2016 what they thought of that legacy. That was one of the clearest options you had. Here's a woman who was literally the inheritor of the Obama legacy. Everything that you, all the policies, programs, slogans, and sayings you liked under Obama will continue under this person, and this person is Obama's third term. Obama's third term, essentially. Virtually his third term. And this man is the antithesis of all of that. He repudiates everything Obama ever stood for in any capacity. Which one do you choose? And the country, well, obviously not the majority of the country, but through our electoral system, the country chose um, the reputation of that. So I think it would be a very, frankly, stupid move for the Democrats to basically try and offer this, a slightly t- a tweaked version of the same option they were offering the American um, populace in 2016. They need to have something new to say. Yeah. I would add, uh, I think that's all, all very true. The, the three things people should focus on uh, in going into this next year, uh, first off is the debates. I think the debates will play a huge role when 24 people are running for president. Someone has to stand out. Uh, that's how Trump stood out and really secured his lead. Second is money. Who's bringing the most cash? Uh, the the field is saturated, so they're going to be you know picking as many pockets as they can. And third, I think, is going to actually be uh, surrogates and, and, and ground strategy in Iowa and New Hampshire. Who's coming out from there? Some key Democratic senators, state senators, politicians in Iowa and New Hampshire, um, if they are, especially in Iowa, where, where the caucus system reigns, if they have key leaders, then they can do a far better job at, at this, the primary system. I would add to Lucas's point about the turnout. Um, I think it's important to know at a primary level that not just Democrats are coming out to vote for the nomination. Democratic primary voters are coming out, which is a very specific breed of Democrat. Those, I mean, it takes, you know, it's not election day. It's, you know, it's on January 3rd. You know, it's snowy outside in Iowa. Um, and your kids have, you know, Des Moines Little League practice. It takes a lot to go in. It, in the caucus is a long process. It's not just go in and, and you hit a button and leave. I mean, the caucus is a two, three-hour process. And so it is people who show up, people who care about the party, and people who care about the vision of the party, which is why I think progressive candidates will do substantially better in the primary process than just any moderate, run-of-the-mill open primary. Um, I also think it's important to note that in some primaries, key ones like South Carolina, they are open, which means Republicans can vote in them. Trump's nomination sealed up. No one's going to not, no one's, not many people are going to vote for him. Many Republicans, I think, will take the advantage to vote for a Democrat who's perhaps a weaker candidate against Donald Trump. I think it'd be interesting for the Democratic Party and for us as a whole to figure out who the Republicans think that weakest candidate is and then potentially prop them up. It's an old Nixon strategy in 72 where uh, they basically booted down uh, main senator and, and uh, vice presidential candidate uh, Edmund Muskie and then allowed uh, McGovern to become the nominee, which was just basically a paper tiger. So uh, I can't on for that. In terms of the general election, I would just say um, I think this election depends on who the Democratic nominee is. Trump will get his people out. They'll come out no matter what. But if uh, 
the I, I don't want to say the I, I'd say those who minority voters, poor voters who did not come out for Hillary Clinton do come out to vote and are mobilized. Then the Democrats have a good shot of winning if it's the same clientele and people are disinterested and begrudgingly submitting their absentee ballot or, or, or hitting a chat. I don't think the Democrats do have a, have a strong uh, position, and that really depends entirely on who the candidate is. Do you think, though, that it really does depend on uh, getting the Democrats excited for the candidates, or do you think there's going to be some aspect of, this is a little biased in the way I'm wording it, but uh, some aspect, at least, of Democrats hating Donald Trump enough that that gets them to the polls? Didn't work in 2016, it won't work now. But I don't yeah. think in 2016 people took him credibly. No, by like the week before the election, people, the number of Hitler comparisons that were made to this man leading up the election, but I, he was seen as like, but, but I think he was going to win. That's I, true. I think, yeah, I yeah. think there, in 2016, there was an overconfidence that. Because, ex- exactly because of those comparisons to Hitler, people were like, there is no way. I think from a lot of Democrats, I think, I think that, was, that was a pretty common sentiment. And I think at least now, like, you have to acknowledge that he, I mean, he's the president, right? Uh, and so I think, I, think, I think more so than in 2016, you might have a fear of Trump motivating voter turnout. Uh, at least yeah. more so than in 2016. Potentially, but there's always an incumbency advantage. And I think if people are not, it's still 43% of the public still supports him. That's a huge, that's, a, that's not a huge majority, but that's a large portion of the population that I thought had been turned out. I thought he had like 25. I think he'd be in Bush levels right now. He's not. So I think there's 43% that support him. There's always going to be 10% that are ambivalent. I don't think the hatred for Trump motivates itself. I think in the first month, the first two months of his presidency, people were irate. They're rioting in the streets, but as the nature of democracy is, people become <laughs> complacent. And they go back to their jobs and their way of life. They were rioting the day of the inauguration, yeah. Yeah. but I feel like it's going to very and they're not much writing anymore. I, it, so I, I feel like people have just gone on their lives, and I don't think that that huge hatred they had for Trump in the initial few days uh, has really uh, manifested itself two, three years later. There's there's still a little bit of time between now and the election, mm-hmm. right? Uh, what are the odds of Congress voting to begin impeachment proceedings? Zero. And yeah, and we, I mean, we can just cut Good. that question there, right? Because <laughs> and the if they do, it's, is, it'd be the dumbest thing right. the Democrats could do. Right. Just right. vote him out for the Besides love of God. Have a strong GOTV effort. Um, now, just one last thing. Maybe how much time do we have, Jose? Are we done? Uh, we're we're approaching we're the upper up. bounds. All right. Yeah. We'll just think about this for next time then. Uh, Lucas and I were talking about this in class, but uh, Joe Biden recently has not a fully officially apologized for the way he handled the Anita Hill hearings uh, during Cl- Clarence Thomas's uh, Supreme Court approval process. Uh, and of course, he also has, I don't believe, uh, fully recanted his position on sponsoring the, the crime bill uh, in 1994, I think, around there. Uh, we've discussed this. You know, leaders sometimes stick to their guns. They don't want to be called flip-floppers and, and you know, having be ambivalent about their policies. And so they instead pursue this hubris, this strict adherence to their values instead of potentially adjusting to uh, changing facts. I believe uh, the economist John uh, Kenneth Galbraith said, uh, as the facts change, so does my mind. And so this is something... It was Keynes. Keynes. Uh, all those economists, I get mixed up. Um, cut that, boy. Uh, <laughs> I'll say it again. As, as, as Keen said, as the facts change, so does my mind. And so I think it's important to note here uh, that leaders, especially Joe Biden and others who got things wrong, how does it help them, hurt them if they decide to change their minds? Does the American electorate see it as weak? Do they see it as maybe an evidence of a strong leader? And how does that play for Joe Biden and maybe the other candidates? I love how Charles Murray, had, he had a great response to that in Coming Apart because he used that same quote from Keynes on the facts change. I changed my mind. What do you, what do, you do, sir? He's like, well, do do? and then yeah. he responds, he's like, well, if it was being honest, he would say, Nothing. That's what most people do yeah. when their preconceptions are challenged. They're like, I'm going to keep thinking the way I was thinking before, and I will think less of you for trying to change them. Um, so to go, to go towards like that whole point, like we'll flip flopping, like Kurt. 
um, Joe Biden and everything. I just feel like that, thinking about what made Trump win in the first place, I think the most fundamental reason for Trump's win is that he couldn't, the biggest rule he broke, and it's basically getting out of the laws of physics, that's how important this is in the political system that we have right now, is he is not bound by political yeah, correctness. Changes what he doesn't have to yeah. apologize for anything. And I'm sorry, in an age where everyone's forced to apologize for everything all the time, rightly or wrongly, that's not the point, it's just too much apologizing at this point. Everyone apologizes all the time for even the for even the appearance of impropriety before you've established that it, it exists, because obviously it does exist in a lot of cases, not to cheapen the moments when those when that happens. We've just become sort of obsessed with it as a society. And as long as that strain continues to populate our populate our body politic, that's going to give Trump an incredible advantage. Because even people who don't like him are just so sick of that whole climate of, why do I have to apologize for this? This isn't really a big issue. Why are you making this such a big issue? And that's what's going to screw over the left. If if the left cannot put that behind by 2020, which of course they will not, they will lose. And I think that's exactly why he gets away with it, is because he's people not are... The Democratic Party. Well, I think, I think it's no, partly it's because people yeah. are so fed up about seeing everyone and feeling like they have to apologize for everything. He channels everyone's rage about yeah. that issue. Right. But and I think, and I, think more, I think more so than... Uh, not just not more so, but I think more than anyone else, it's it, for him, it's not a matter of, oh, I'm only going to apologize every now and then. I think what makes it so... Uh, so powerful that it comes off as as genuine as opposed to uh, any sort of tactic is that he doesn't apologize for anything. I think if no he were to apologize for even a, for even a few things, it would ruin his image. It was ru- it would ruin the appeal. But he is just doesn't apologize for Blatantly, absolutely. Yeah, so yeah, while yeah. Biden is over there bending himself backwards, yeah. apologizing, for things, he just right, all, his electorate wants that. But but, but, but yeah, I'm yeah, saying yeah. To, to the I'm just saying to the American yeah, public, whether, whether people realize or not, I think it's honestly unconscious at that point. You will perceive Joe Biden as weaker than Donald Trump yeah. once he's over there apologizing, looking sorry, looking ashamed. And Trump's like, I don't care what you think. I don't care what you say on me. I don't care about you. I'm the president. I'm a billionaire on top of but, it. But I think probably half and half the elect- American electorate is split between those who say, yeah, you get him, Donald Trump. You don't apologize. And those who say, yes, we need a strong, responsible, and occasionally apologetic leader. I think maybe the Republicans respond to strength, but the Democrats the thi- respond to intuition. The thing I'm worried about, though, is that to go back to the whole voter turnout, people are not inspired to turn out for someone they consider weak. Yeah. Even when they agree with the person, I feel like it unconsciously impacts their behavior where it's like you don't inspire me because I don't feel like you can like protect me or stand up for me or represent me. I feel like there's something that's very... And unfortunately for Joe Biden, even if he apologizes till the cows come home, I mean, the Democratic voters will still disdain him for what It's he, not going to work. For, for inappropriately touching and, and, yeah. and that's something that Trump understood, I feel like, whether it's strategic or whether it's just his personality. I think he understands, like, for the people that want me to apologize, there's nothing I can say that will get them I'm to come over to side, my side yeah. so there's no point. Yeah. Okay, so why don't we end uh, on a few, three questions to kind of wrap it up. Maybe we can go around. Uh, one, who do you think has the best chance of the Democratic, uh, of being the Democratic nominee? Uh, do you think that uh, they or any one of the Democratic nominees have a chance at Donald Trump? And do you think this, uh, this election will have a higher than normal voter turnout or not? Um, I think... For the declared candidates right now, I think Mayor Pete has the best chance. I don't think he'll beat Donald Trump, and I think voter turnout will stay about the same, like it always does. Yeah, 50% will around there. Um, it's tough. It's it's honestly tough. I'll I don't go, know. I'll go if you want to. It's Pete just for charisma, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. I go, I go. Uh, you want to say? I go with? Either, either Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth Warren Bernie, perhaps. 
Maybe I'll throw in Bernie. No. Maybe I'll throw in Bernie. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) And um, what's the second question? Turnout. Turnout. And do they have a chance against Trump? Uh, Do they have a chance? No. And uh, voter turnout. Same. Uh, I think the I think if any if any if if Bernie had any chance at the nominee, it's it's in a very divided field that the way we have. But I still don't think I I don't frankly think he gets it. Uh, I think uh, I wouldn't discount Biden entirely uh, entirely yet. Uh, but I do think uh, a Warren Mayor Pete ticket would be yeah. both uh, appealing to Democrats as, uh, and I think there, I think the ball is in their court to see. You know, I think the earlier they kind of uh, get together, uh, and if if they do ever decide to get together, I think the stronger that 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 appeal will be, not only for the actual nomination, but uh, for their uh, challenge to Trump. And I actually do think that. Uh, there is there. I, I think I am of the opinion that there may be higher election. Uh, wow, English is hard. You're gonna have to edit that <laughs> out, man. Um, uh, and I think that my answer to the other question is that uh, voter turnout will be higher than normal. Uh, mm. I think you have uh, enough uh, Donald Trump supporters that will see will see this election as a threat to Donald Trump, and they'll show up. Uh, I think he'll do uh, just as good a job as in he, he did in 2016 of riling up his base to get them to turn out. And I think that Democrats will take the, the Donald Trump threat more seriously than they did in 2016. And I, and I think regardless of, of who the candidate is, uh, you'll have more Democrats turning out, turning out not only in support of their candidate, but against Donald Trump more so than you saw in 2016. Yeah, I, I personally still like Joe. I don't know what other people would think, but uh, I wouldn't rule Joe Biden out. I do think Bill de Blasio could become a contender um, May 8th. I think he's planning announcing around there. Uh, you know, New York, good fundraising, good Democrat, not too extreme, but not too moderate. And, uh, you know, even the fact that a New York City mayor has never done well in a primary, I think he stands a good shot. Uh, will anybody beat Trump? I think Biden may be able to beat Trump. But I still think Trump is well positioned. Granted, I, I think also we, we make Trump out to be a bigger monster than he is. I think we overplay him. And, and you know, he still lost a popular vote. And with a few votes in, in some of those uh, Rust Belt states, the election could change very quickly. I think turnout will increase slightly, but by no it means any uh, sizable shift. Sure, but Trump is a big head start on fundraising, especially with a divided yeah, Democratic course, field. But the once, once the Democrats consolidate in, yeah. in June, then everybody will back you know, whoever the nominee is. Except for maybe some Bernie bros who will get mad. <laughs> But they're always mad. Yeah, they're always mad, yeah. Are we wrapping on that, or do you yeah, want to say Yeah, they're always, it? Bernie Bros are always <laughs> mad. Take it, take it. That's, that's, that's the episode title. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> thank you again for listening in on this episode of Timely Meditations. And uh, join us again next time that we upload, whenever that is. Um, do we want to say something about us being gone for the summer? Because we're not going to upload We're going to be gone this summer. Yeah, yeah. It should, <laughs> there uh, you we should probably mention that. We'll have one more podcast. Yeah, we'll have probably yeah. one more podcast, and then we'll deal with the final matters. Right, right. We'll, and we'll be back. We're like any uh, TV show. We take off for the summertime, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We'll be back. Lucas will call in, and uh, we'll get you a From Blue Yeti in your job. setup. And, uh, I'll be moving to uh, New York. Yep. Yep. And Nobody asked, but <laughs> here we are. <laughs> but there you have Thank it, you, folks. Lucas. So I'll have to call in, but, you know. Or with all of our sponsors, maybe we can fly Lucas in every time we do it. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, if you want to support us, you can also uh, donate uh, <laughs> through Facebook or through Anchor. So uh, yeah, Stop yeah, donating to presidential campaigns and start donating to us. That's, yep. that's my, yeah. Uh, 
Better use of your money. Yeah, true. 